It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is, as I said it would be yesterday, our legal system is all too predictable. We are still arguing about how it was possible to release a dangerous terrorist back onto our streets to kill, despite warnings that he was determined to martyr himself for Islamic Jihad. Today, we learned that he told inmates at Belmarsh that he wanted to murder an MP. Now, fortunately, uh, this ghastly character uh, who was shot dead on the streets of Streatham, and I'm not going to mention his name, so I don't really think we should keep mentioning his name, because it might somehow give him uh, some kind of post-death heroic status with some of his dopey mates. The point about it is that he was being followed by about 20 individual police officers who were able to cut him down uh, when he started trying to stab people. On the Independent Republic yesterday, David Torb from Quilliam International, who's a lawyer, said the government could not change the law to make it impossible to release these dangerous terrorists. Well, guess what? It turns out that they can. And my suggestion that they should has now been adopted by Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Looks like I was right again. It's getting really boring, this, isn't it? And of course, the lawyers are all up in arms again, trying to stop it. Lib Dem Lord Carlisle is already making out that Boris's plan could be illegal. Look, guys, we need to stop people being attacked by these idiotic, dangerous and completely and utterly reviled terrorists. People who care not a jot for human life, who would slash the face of a child, who would behead uh, a woman or a man uh, or any other form of human that they think is not living the right life and is not somehow Islamic enough. So I'm not really sure that we should be talking about giving these people rights in the same way that we have. For heaven's sake, we have a crisis on our hands. We need to fix it. We'll talk to Jerry Hayes to see what he makes of it all. 0344 499 1000. Our debate about the death penalty has been going for nearly 24 hours on social media as well, with a predictable interference from barristers and other assorted terrorist apologists who reckon we shouldn't even be talking about it. But we'll continue that debate here and live on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter, where you can watch me as well as listening to me. 0344-499-1000. Coming up later on, I'll be asking why the government is doing away with our cars, and we'll be getting a visit from Susan Hall, the leader of the Conservatives in City Hall here in London. She'll have a few things to say uh, about what happened in Streatham. She'll have a few things to say about Sadiq Khan. She'll have a few things to say about Harry and Meghan as well. You're listening to me and watching me right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
So once again, we're treated to a whole host of newspaper headlines this morning about this Streatham um, apologists. Uh, jihadist told inmates he wanted to murder an MP, is what it says uh, on the front page of the Times. Front page of the Daily Mirror, 20 danger jihadis on our streets. And then, of course, on the Daily Mail, a team of 20 were actually tailing the terror maniac. Wave of terrorists due to be released, it says in the Daily Telegraph. So... What we do know is we need to stop these people from being released. What we don't need is Lord Carlisle trying to stand in the way of the Prime Minister's efforts to keep them behind bars where they can't do us, the general public, any harm at all. Let's talk to Jerry Hayes, barrister, of course, and former Tory MP. Jerry, very good morning to you. Good morning to you. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with Boris, but no one's told him the law. The government on the, the 12th of February, when it came into, into law, passed the Counterterrorism and Security Act which says precisely what the government is going to do. Firstly, it increases for these sort of offences from 10 to 15 years, but it makes it what's called a specified offence. In other words, you don't get automatically released at all. You serve three quarters of your sentence, and then the parole board has to decide whether you're dangerous. If you're dangerous, you stay in there. Well, I think that seems perfectly... Doesn't that seem perfectly normal, though, Jerry? I mean, I was talking to some people um, last night about this, and surely the point yeah. is, if you are going to be sentenced to whatever it is, whether it be three years or yeah, ten yeah. years, you yeah. serve three years or ten years, if you behave well while you're in prison, that's what you serve. If you don't behave yeah. well, then they can tack something else on as well. Well, that's right. I mean, that, that's the law. But what I find so utterly dishonest is the sort of stuff that's coming out of number ten... They're going to pass these new laws. They don't have to because they passed them last year. Well, um, well, you say that. If that, but if well, that was, do. but if that was the case, then why did this guy uh, who stabbed a couple of people in Streatham before he was fortunately shot dead by the police yeah. of this well, country? Why was why was he right. released automatically then? <laughs> because it was before this law was passed. Now, if the government says it should all be retrospective, retroactive. Why didn't it say that in the legislation? Well, because it didn't say that in the legislation, because I'll tell you why. Because people uh, like the guy that I spoke to yesterday from the Quilliam Foundation, uh, who's a lawyer, yeah. says you can't make retrospective law. Well, you well, can well, well, that's it's what not, I said. It's not, <laughs> it's not desirable, but you can. And in fact, if you look at the newspapers uh, this morning, you'll see that there are two groups of lawyers. One saying you can, one saying you can't. It's not desirable because the law must be transparent. But I'm afraid... Boris Johnson, it wasn't Boris Johnson, to be fair, it was Theresa May at the time, former Home Secretary, the Savage Javid, who was the Home Secretary, passed this legislation. Did anyone think about this? Mm. Of course they don't. It's absolutely appalling. <laughs> Why is so dreadful about number 10? It, it's as if they've defeated the Labour government and they're now reversing all their policies. It was their policies. Nothing to do with lawyers. Lawyers don't make the law. Parliament does. It's time Parliament took responsibility for this and stop trying to blame everybody else. Yeah, but that's exactly what Boris Johnson is trying to do. Lord Carlyle no, is attempting to stop him. Mike, the legislation is in place. No, it's not in place because, as you said to me just now, what the legislation says is that from that point on, this will be the case. It does not apply. It does not apply uh, to the wave of terrorists, as the Daily Telegraph puts it, uh, who are going to be released very shortly if the law is not changed. Yeah, there's about 220 in sight. Now, if Parliament decides to say, right, this is going to be retrospective, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that in cases like that. It shouldn't be the norm, and it usually isn't the norm. Um, you know, you've got terrible difficulty in sensing um, historic sexual offences when all the, you know, all the penalties were, were different. It can be a bit of a nightmare. But this could be you know, 
a, a, a one-page act of parliament. It, it's not terribly difficult. But you have to ask the question, there's got to be scrutiny of the government. Is You introduced the law um, last year. Why didn't you think of it then? Yeah, but never mind all that. I'm not interested in what they should have thought of a year ago. You know, that was before London Bridge. That was before what happened in Streatham. What I'm interested in now is lawyers, re you know, respecting what it is that Boris Johnson is trying to do, respecting what it is that the British people want, respecting the fact that we should be safe on our streets as best we can be. Therefore, whatever we have to do to stop these maniacs from being released, that's what we should be doing. Well, of course we should be. Well, you just have to ask yourself, the government's all being self-righteous, why didn't they think of it then? I don't oh, care whether they didn't think of it then, Jerry. The point, no, the point is, is that we need, we need to do it now. Well, it can be done now. Let's get the legislation through. There's not going to be a problem getting it through. He's got a majority of eight. Exactly. Exactly, yeah, but why? But why are we hearing? But hang on, why are we hearing the same old nonsense from the same old law lords who sit around, you know, drinking tea and whoa, having whoa, afternoon whoa, whoa. having Which afternoons on the red? Well, I'm talking about I'm talking about Lord oh, Carlisle, okay? He's not a law. He's a law lord in my view because he sits in the House of Lords and he's a lawyer. So I'm calling him a law lord. Listen, it's my shorthand, Jerry. It's my show. I shall name him whatever I want. The bottom line is he's saying, yeah, but he's saying this could be illegal. It could be illegal. Well, why is he bothering to say that? Well, because it's a democracy is entitled to a viewpoint. I, I think he's actually wrong, for what it's worth. And I'm not... Of course he's wrong. Or even a lord. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It's going to go through Parliament. So, end of... Yeah, but we need this done. And what I want to know from you, Jerry, is will yeah. we get the usual sort of caravan uh, of wets, wets and lefties <laughs> turning up for the European Court of Human Rights? Because here's an interesting question for you. The European yeah. Court of Human Rights is a sort of overarching organisation, which I think I'm right in saying is sort of outside of our connection with the European Union. So I mean, will we see... Uh, all of these people having lawyers representing them uh, at the European Court of Human Rights. Maybe even Sherry Blair will take up some of the cases <laughs> and see whether or not it's illegal not to let them out. No, but you see, where people get muddled, uh, I'm not saying you're muddled, but where people get muddled is the role of the European Court of Human Rights. Don't forget, uh, that particular convention was drafted by British jurors. Perfectly sensible after the Second World War, after Nuremberg. And the fact is... It, can't order Parliament to do anything. Parliament has to take note. Simple, straightforward as that. Do you remember the big row about votes for prisoners? What's happened there? Absolutely nothing, but Parliament took note. So yeah. don't let's get excited about the European Convention because really it doesn't really matter all that much. It just concentrates people's minds. Well, not. yes, I know, but there are people in this country, Jerry, who are not privileged, uh, who are not people yeah. who have had gilded lives like you and who have sat in chambers. <laughs> I had a gilded and, life, you know, <laughs> sat in chambers and gone to law school and had all this wonderful, you know, sort of florid uh, existence, right? However, who don't want to see taxpayers' money wasted on any of these scumbags uh, who would like to come out and slit people's throats. So what I don't want to see is this cavalcade of Sherry Blair types taking cases to the European Court of Human Rights. So I want you to assure me uh, that that won't happen. <laughs> of course it's going to happen, but haven't they? Well, it's not acceptable. It's well, no, it's a democracy. People have got the right to say what no. they want to say. You see, this is my argument, though. But, Jerry, no, hang on, Jerry. This is, this is my yeah. argument. Democracy yeah. begins and ends with civilised people, yeah. right? Yeah. Democracy does not extend to yeah. bloodthirsty and rabid killers... Uh, who happen to belong uh, to a particularly uh, bizarre form of religion, who think that because I'm not one of them, I should die. Um, and why should they get democracy? 
No, because it's due process and it is the rule of law which we believe in. We don't pick I don't believe in it. who should get a fair trial or not. That is the essence. No, I'm not talking about a fair trial. No, I'm not talking yeah. about a fair trial, Jerry. Well, due process. They These people have, have had a fair trial. They've been yeah. locked up, right? Yeah. I would like yeah. to see the law changed so yeah. that those people who have been locked up for these types of offences and who are proven to be unreconcilably uh, un, uh, in, incapable of being saved or changed or yeah. rehabilitated, yeah. they yeah. should never be released, these people. No, 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 but that's the law at the moment. Is What your real argument is, should it be retrospective? And that's what the government has yes. got to consider. That's and, and that's what the government wants to do, because this government yeah. knows, look... It's got a majority gov- of 80, of course you Of course, Jerry. It. but what I'm saying is this government knows that if another one of these cases happens, and, and it's worse, luckily, the Streatham case was not too bad, only because, yeah. and really because... Yeah. The police officers who were following this guy around knew yeah. that he was that dangerous that they needed to be within arm's reach of him, literally, to shoot him dead. If it yeah. hadn't been for yeah. that, if it hadn't, been, you know, if they released another yeah, two hundred of them, right. what are we yeah. going to do then? Oh, exactly right. That's why we should bring back control order. Why the government stop control order, which is basically sort of house imprisonment, is beyond my understanding. What is, I mean, what is the point of a control order, um, and why were they done away with? They were done away with because, according to Lord Carlisle, it's quite interesting because he was the reviewer of terrorism law. He does know what he's talking about when it comes to that. You may not agree with him, but he knows the law. Uh, he just said it was a, a political expedient of the coalition. Well, they've got to come back. They've really got to come yeah. back. That's yeah, but what way. was the reasoning behind them being done away with? Was it, was it resources? Was it, what was it? Well, you see, the whole thing is resources, isn't it? You look at the justice system at the moment, it's, it's in a state of complete collapse. At any one time, 24% of all Crown Courts are not sitting. Mm. This is ridiculous. Yeah. If you are, are a victim of a rape, it'll take 550 days before you're even, you get your trial, yeah. which is appalling. Right. They've starved the system, they've starved the police, they've starved the CPS. That's what they should be looking at, not the window dressing. Yes. So, I mean, but window dressing is important as well because the people of this country deserve to have a government that they voted in doing the things that they promised to do and keeping the streets of this country safe. And I think with respect to Lord Carlisle, I understand that he has been uh, in charge of terror laws in the past, but I think we've we've now got a new breed of terrorists. You know, these people who are inevitably, you know, disenfranchised from society, usually smoking a lot of weed, usually petty criminals, usually... Yep. kind of, you know, uh, in some way um, transmogrified into jihadis by the, by YouTube, yep. you know. Yep. And these are people who are at a very low level can, can, can do an awful lot of damage and kill a lot of people. Absolutely right. The trouble is, what happens in prison? The prison service is a complete and utter disgrace. The number of suicides and self-harming has just gone through the roof. Yeah. And what's happened is all these people are put together. Uh, this guy held mock executions, mock trials. They're radicalising each other. Now, someone to do something about that. Well, absolutely. Well, I'm, yeah. I, was, I was saying yesterday that what we should be considering now is a complete change in the sort of prison system so that these particular individuals, of whom there are many, can be put yeah. in a special place so that they're not mixing in with the normal, regular population of prisoners and they're not radicalising each other and they are treated yeah. very, very differently. Because I think we have to yep. admit, yep. regardless of how you know pure you wish our democracy to be and our judicial system to be... But there's nothing you know, wrong with that. Well, there's, there, there's nothing wrong with, with it until people start getting killed. And as far as I'm concerned, the safety of the British public is more important uh, than the rights of these bozos. No, no. Again, we don't disagree on that. And I think most lawyers would, uh, would, would agree with you. The Quillian group obviously have got, a, uh, they've, they've got an agenda. 
But of course, the Quillian group, really, they, they should be doing everything they can to stop these kids being radicalised, to get people to come forward. When we, well, government brought forward proposals in schools, you know, look, people should be, the authorities should be told if they're worried about a particular individual, then they can get to them in time. Oh, everyone went completely mad. Stupid. Society has got to be protected, but it has to be done within the law. It has to be done within the law, but I mean, that is now a very different kettle of fish than it was a year ago because within the law can mean anything. Because Boris Johnson, as you've well, just yeah. said, can make any law that he wants and pass well, it. Pretty well, pretty well, yeah. Right. So, so he can make something. He can make something, uh, and he can make a new law, and then whatever it is he wants to do is within that new law. Absolutely right, but yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's got to be something that the courts will uphold. It can't, it can't go against basic, basic principles. You know, the law has got to be transparent. People have got to know when they're sentenced what it actually means, and they have to have it explained. Yeah. To well, I guess what it's it, not yeah. very transparent now because what it means now is that when you get sentenced to ten years, it's not ten years. Um, no, but it never was. <laughs> yeah, but then how transparent is that? No, no, because the, the whole sentencing process is actually explained. Right, I deem you as. Uh, someone I regard as dangerous, uh, therefore you will serve three quarters of your sentence. You won't be automatically released after three quarters, but people will have a look at you and think you're dangerous. You sound as if you've gone gaga, Jerry. Explaining, and I'm not saying you have gone gaga, what I'm saying is the way you've just explained that, it sounds like you've gone mad. Because what you've just actually said, and I'll read it back to you, because you're a very dangerous individual, uh, you're only going to have to serve a portion of the sentence that you've given. No, no, no. Yeah, no. that's to, what you just said. Listen to the last bit. No, 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 but listen to the last bit. The last bit doesn't matter after the first bit. No, 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 yes, it does, because it means there's no automatic release. You're not considered... Well, you've just uh, said there's well, automatic release after three quarters of the sentence. No, 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 I didn't. I said quite the opposite, actually. Three quarters of your sentence, you can be considered for release... But you have to be looked at by the parole board. If the parole board says no, because you're dangerous, you stay inside. Yeah, but you started the sentence with the words, you are dangerous. So why would you even be considered? Well, you have to be considered. Why? Because the law is is very clear. So change the law. Let's change it. Well, no, you can't have indefinite sentences. In other words... It's not indefinite. No, no, no. But that's what the law is. You can't have someone, well, you're just... You know, whatever happens, you will never, never... No, but the point is, why, how, how is why is it difficult for, for you people to understand that five years <laughs> means five years? It doesn't mean three quarters of five years or half of five years or, you know, a tenth of five years. It means five Mike, years. Mike, unusually, you're missing the point. The most dangerous sexual offenders, the most dangerous people in society... Let's let them out early. ...get automatic release. They do not. They do not. Well, they shouldn't get any sort of early release. Well, no, early release is really just to get the government off the hook. There's enough money to keep prisons going. And the idea is that if you say, say you've got a 10-year sentence for something, like, not terrorism, 10-year sentence, yeah. and you're not a dangerous person, it's not a specified offence. So you do five years, uh, then you're out. But you're on licence for that other five years. If you commit any other offence, no matter how much money, you, you're recalled. Yeah, you the rest but of we're not talking about That's people right. who are not terrorists. I'm talking about bloodthirsty... Uh, you know, knife-crazed terrorists yes. who would kill yes. even knowing yes. that they're going to be yes. killed doing it. Yes. And, they're a different, and, and, they should be in a different category. Not, they are in a different category. And it's, they've been they're in not. A, yes, they are. They've been in a different category since the, the 12th of February of last year. Have a look. Get somebody, Get one of your producers. Look up the counter Have a look on the streets of Streatham, Jerry. There's a guy lying dead there because he was released yes. early, even though he was dangerous. That's a fact. Yeah. You can't argue yeah. with it. Yeah. No, because this was before the law was passed. Right, 
Right, so, so so there we are going around in circles again. Jerry, it's a pleasure as no, ever right. to talk to you. I'm sorry to have to prove you wrong again, because, I mean, but that's just what I do. You know, yesterday some lawyer told me I was wrong. I couldn't change the law. Today, here's a lawyer telling me I was right. But even he's still getting the last bit wrong, because you're dangerous, you'll get out in uh, three quarters of your sentence. No. Do the whole sentence. Do the time. This is Mike Graham. We are, of course, the voice of the common people. We are the voice of reason. And we are going to change the laws. And we're going to keep these people locked up. Because if they're not locked up, the people are not going to be happy about that at all. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Now, only yesterday we were talking about Ofgem uh, and their plan to basically replace all of your gas central heating uh, with electricity and to rip out your gas boiler uh, and make you pay to replace it with something a bit greener. They're also apparently going to try and make everybody drive around in electric cars. Now, it turns out this morning uh, that it's not just them that wants to do that. Uh, it's the entire government of this nation because it's not good enough anymore uh, for you just to say, well, I'm sorry I bought a diesel car, but you told me it was going to be cleaner and I was going to pay less tax. It now turns out that Michael Gove uh, and his crowd want to a ban on selling new petrol, diesel or hybrid cars in the UK. Uh, it's going to be brought forward to 2035 uh, from 2040. But what I don't know is what they're going to tell the manufacturers. Let's talk to Mike Rutherford, uh, our good friend and motoring journalist. Mike, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Hello, Michael. I'm as shocked as you by this. Yeah, I know. I mean, um, it suddenly struck me. How does this work if you're a motoring manufacturer and you're basically, you know, still making diesel cars for other parts of the world, but apparently you can't sell them here? Well, uh, not just diesel cars, but, of course, petrol cars and, more importantly, hybrid cars. Yeah. You see, manufacturers are ploughing, I mean, when I say billions i.e. thousands of millions. I mean many, many billions. A manufacturer can spend one billion pounds just developing one model. Yeah. That's a thousand million. Well, if the governments of... Well, not the governments of the world, but if a government like Britain says, well, there's no point in putting money into high-tech petrol engines or diesel engines or hybrid engines. For those who don't know, a hybrid is a combination of the two. Mm. You've got electricity and petrol or electricity and diesel effectively under the bonnet or, you know, under the uh, skin of the car. If, if, you, if companies are going to be told that these things are going to be banned in 15 years, they'll just say, well, we might as well give up on the research then. I mean, why are we spending money on a product that could have a life, that could have a, a, a shelf life in the showrooms of decades to come right. as, hybrids, as hybrids could and should when a government is going to ban them in a decade and a half? So right. let's stick with the technology we've got Let's not try to improve the fuel efficiency of these models and we'll just limp on until 2035 in the hope that everyone will buy an electric car. I mean, they haven't thought it through, no. Mike, have they? Well, they really haven't. I mean, Michael Gove was on Julie Hartley Brewer's show this morning, right? And she was trying to ask him precisely how much it was going to cost. Let's just have a listen. How much is it going to cost and what are our taxes going to go up by? Because if you're not charging money for diesel and petrol vehicles anymore and for yes. those, you're going to be charging it somewhere else. So how much is it going to cost us? Uh, the key thing, and I, I can't put a figure on this. So wait a minute, total... are you telling me we've got a government policy announcement that's been so, yeah, uncosted? So no. Nope. This is like very corbyn right. isn't it? It, it goes on nope. like that because he can't uh, give her a figure uh, and he doesn't know the figure and they obviously haven't thought about the figure. Exactly. And the other thing, Mike, is that linked with this, linked with this um, sort of morphism into uh, electric cars, is the fact that they want 
more automated cars. So they want to eliminate the driver. So it's not just the cost of... Currently, they make billions, you right. know, tens of billions a year in petrol and diesel duties that they won't make come 2035 when we switch to electric. Right. But then around the same time or shortly after when we switch to autonomous cars, then there will be who knows how many drivers, taxi drivers, truck drivers, van drivers, who will not be in gainful employment. Many of them will be forced to sign on, as we used to call it. Yeah. So they're losing the income tax receipts of people who used to drive cars as well. And the government has gone blindly into this, saying that electric cars and automated cars, in other words, cars without drivers, really are the future and there'll be a net gain mm. to all of us. Will there be a net gain, really? Because this issue of how you tax that electricity for your, for your um, electric car is one they have I've not heard a sentence from the government, you know, from no. any department, the Department for Transport, Gove's department. I mean, Grant Shapps, the transport minister, is saying today that we're going to switch to 2035. This is not a decision for the transport minister. Transport ministers tend to be here today, gone tomorrow yeah. sort of people. By 2035, who knows what will happen? The only consolation, might, because I think your listeners might be getting a bit depressed at this minute, I wonder why. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> because it might be the case that somebody, you know, was expecting to buy a brand new petrol car yeah. or diesel car in 2040 that they, they wanted to limp on till 2060, say. But well, they exactly. can't do that. Well, I mean, more important than that, what if it, you, we get to, say, 2025 and people are thinking, well, I've got to get a new car and I, I, I generally like to keep my car going for 10 or 12 years. But, right. you know, what am I going to be able to buy? Because unless electric cars get an awful lot cheaper, there's not much out there that you can choose from. Right. And, and just to remind people, it's not that I'm against electric cars. I very much like driving electric cars. You know, I'm a judge in the World Car Awards competition and many of the contender cars um, this year are electric vehicles. Yeah. So I'm all for electric cars. But there is, the fact is that they are expensive sometimes or getting on for twice the mm. price of their petrol or diesel equivalents. And also, you but, and I are old enough, Mike, to remember that people sometimes tell a load of lies. And who is to say that if we uh, sort of enter this new uh, era of electric-only cars, suddenly the price of electricity goes up, and then we're all, uh, we're all doomed, we'll have to pay it? Well, two things on electricity. One, we have lots of power outages in this country, yeah. far more, far more... Uh, than is reported, I think. I mean, I know from my own experience, uh, I've had a power outage at my home. I was in a shop the other day and right. had a power outage. My mother uh, lives in a nice house where she had a power outage that didn't just... didn't just The, the electricity, electricity didn't just go. It blew up the telly and all right. the, lots of other electrical oh, appliances God. that were, right. all had to be claimed on insurance. Yeah. So there's a problem with outages with, with uh, electricity. There's a, there's a problem with the cost. Electricity, mm. But there's a problem, it seems to me, with the electric companies and power stations. We hear all sorts of news, don't we, about question marks over who's going to build future power right. stations. Are they going to be nuclear? I mean, is that what we're going to go for? Nuclear electricity generated in nuclear power stations? I mean, well, that's the that... thing. Nobody knows. And the other thing I always told Mike, we've only got a very short time now, is that there are no electric vans, there are no electric lorries. You know, how's that going to work? Well, I mean, that's come back to this. I mean, the technology is there to do that, but does a truck that needs to be on the road 24 hours a day to run efficiently, does it have time to stop and keep recharging? Answer, 
No. But the good news, Michael, because I'd like to leave you on a slight high if I could, all this talk from the likes of Grant Chaps and, uh, and Michael Gove, yeah. uh, we, have to, we can, I think, uh, we should remind ourselves that although they're saying all this, as I understand it, this is a matter that's going to go out to consultation. Mm. So if there was, and that means they want the, the opinion of the public and the manufacturers and, and others. So if ever there was a time for you to write to the government yeah. or the Department for Transport, look, at, eventually the details will be online to give your opinion. This is it. There are 40 million, circa 40 million vehicles in this country, over 30 million driving license holders we should all be giving our opinions on this, on whether we, we want to see the death of the petrol and diesel car yeah. come 2035. It's not a done deal. What they're saying is, as I understand it, they're putting it out to consultation. So you, we've got the invitation. This is like, if you like, our chance to have our vote on the matter. Yes, well, let's do that, Mike. Thanks very much indeed. Mike Rutherford there. I mean, if ever there was a need for more participation from the people, this is going to be it, because we've got to stop this from happening. This is ridiculous. Absolute madness. This is Talk Radio. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to say we have a special guest in the house with us today, uh, having visited the studios, I think, for the first time, Susan Hall. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. Very nice to see you. We've spoken many times uh, on the phone. Yes, First we time have. we've actually been in the same room together, so it's a delight to have you here. Um, and it's a very big week for London, isn't it, really? Because not only uh, are we going to talk about the budget for the forthcoming sort of new year of, of, of whatever the Greater London Assembly is going to do, but we had that terrible incident on Sunday in Streatham, yes. um, which is an incredibly vibrant and busy part of, of the city. Um, what's your... I mean, I said yesterday I was incredibly impressed with the police. I mean, heaven knows what would have happened if the police were not following him around because they knew him to be dangerous. But it seems incredibly ridiculous that a man that dangerous can get out. Well, I completely agree with you. And can you just begin to imagine, I believe there are about 70 such people. Yeah. And the amount of officer time that this will be taking up, looking out for them, because of course they can't do anything to them until no. they do something. Right. Uh, so I really welcome what Boris is doing. And, uh, and everything you said in the beginning, you know, we've got to take this by the neck and yes. deal with it, you're completely well, right. Well, the people of this country have had enough, you know. It's yes, not, they have. It's not good enough to go, well, of course, it's a fairly rare occurrence and it's a kind of, you know, an isolated incident. Well, that's not good enough anymore because if we know who these people are, which we do, if we know where they are, which we do, why not keep them where they are and well, not let them back on the street? 100%. And comments like that are all too frequent from people like the Lib Dems. Mm. Um, you know, there's so in the old days we used to call them the do-gooders, but yes. I'm afraid the do-gooders are the ones that want them to come out that want them to reform. We all want them to reform, but please, inside right. jail, not outside, where they can do harm. You see, I don't think they can reform. I mean, I think we're dealing now with a very different type of criminal. You know, this is not your average, 
you know, guard, uh, you know, garden thief or the guy that breaks into your house and takes your telly. You know, this is a guy who hates you because of what you represent yes. and who is going to kill you uh, because you're a woman. Uh, they might try and behead you, you know, might try and tell his girlfriend to behead her parents. Yes, I, I mean, know. you know, unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable. It really is incredible that, I mean, of course, it was a Conservative government and the Coalition government under, under Nick Clegg and David Cameron that did away with control orders. On the, on the basis that they were against people's human rights. I think, really think we have to rethink all of this. Well, so do I. I mean, the people's human rights we should be looking for is Joe Bloggs walking down the street, minding their own business, um, just shopping as they were on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um, they're the ones we've got to protect, not these mm. so-and-sos who want to do us harm. Yes, and it looks as though the government's on the right track here. It looks as though Boris Johnson, with the majority that he's got, should be able to do something uh, and change it and do and make it safe for everybody. Yes, I think he will. And Pretty Patel's pretty robust. Uh, you've got to be robust with these people, mm. and we've got to have no more of this nonsense. Their human rights have got to be kind to them. No, we've got to look after mm. the public on the streets. Exactly right. And are you confident now that we've got a very sort of well-led Tory government, much more so than it was under Theresa May, a much more kind of definitive uh, mission, if you like? that we can see maybe more things changing, and, and particularly with, with law and order in, in, in areas of knife crime and that kind of thing. Yes, I do, because if you're in charge and you've got enough votes to know that you can put things through, you can really make a difference. And, you know, to be fair, politicians on all sides, you most of us go into politics to make a difference, to make a change. And when you've got the sort of majority that Boris has now, you can really, really make a difference, mm. and I hope he does. Because, of course, we see far too often knife crime in London, um, which is not terror-related, it's gang-related usually, mm, but it's yeah. also now kind of spreading, it seems, to other parts of the country and, and maybe more, uh, shall we say, suburban parts of, of the capital. Yes. Um, what's your view on how that should be stopped? Well, I've been um, haranguing Sadiq Khan for a very long time to put some more money in, into policing. I mean, originally in 2010, when, when money was short everywhere because we'd been left in this horrendous hole by the Labour government, yeah. uh, we had to make uh, savings all over the place. But if you look at Sadiq Khan's budget... He has so much money that he could actually put into the Metropolitan Police. We've just done a budget amendment um, and we've found over £113 million that we can put into different things or alter around. Right. Um, it's been uh, refused by the others, obviously. But, and where do you uh, find that kind of money? I mean, without getting into the ins and outs of, of yeah, the internationally Byzantine yeah. ways of, of working it all out. But I mean, what, yes. because what, I think there's a popular myth out there that, that it's down to central government where all the policing money comes from, because it's not, is it? Uh, he could put more of his own money in. He's yeah. got an £18 billion budget. Right. Um, lots of money comes into government on top of all of that. But he he gives so much money to various things. That he's spent on, um, and I've exposed, bicycle ballet, splash parties, beach yeah. parties. And the splash party and beach party, you're looking at four hundred and three hundred and fifty thousand yeah. each. And I what mean, is a splash party? Oh, well, exactly. I didn't go. You'll be pleased right. to know, Mike. Yes, well, um, I wasn't invited, so I didn't know it was on. <laughs> I think everybody was invited. Is this the I mean, thing yeah. they do? Because I was in London one Friday night last summer 
Um, and I, I was going to try and have dinner somewhere near City Hall, and I didn't realise that there was this thing on where there was a sort of outdoor concert type arrangement going on. You know, that kind of where the, where the fountains oh, are. Oh, yes. Is yeah. that anything to do with it, or is that something um, else? I, I don't know. I don't see it. I'm, mm. I'm not there generally in the evening. But, right. I mean, all sorts of money is spent on things that he need not spend money on. Well, he spent a lot of money on his own PR machine, well, didn't exactly. he? exactly. And his wages bill has gone up something like 83%. Right. Uh, but his responsibilities, whilst they've gone up slightly, have not gone up Well, the one thing you know about the Labour Party is they're very good at creating employment, particularly in their own uh, inner circle yes. of the Labour Party. Party because that, what they do right. is they just give a load of public money to a load of publicly uh, employed people and suddenly the public sector increases by some vast amount and then they go, but look at all the jobs we've created. Well, that's right, but the TfL perks now are absolutely ludicrous. If you just live in the same flat as somebody, you can give them um, a, a pass, a travel pass that right. they can just use. I think it's some, it's over £40 million pounds that, right. uh, that costs us mm. of, of revenue that we're not taking. And at the, at the risk of making, I don't want to say to London Centre because people are listening all over the world to this particular show, but they're making a hell of a mess of the roads in London. TfL, with with what's going on currently um, yes. in my neck of the woods, which is basically from City Hall down to Greenwich, by completely, like, basically bicycling over the, uh, the, the main thoroughfare. Do you bicycle? No, I don't. <laughs> Absolutely I not. I've got you down as well. Absolutely oh. not. No, but they're turning. They're turning. <laughs> no, my, but you're right. The, 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 if I was to try and drive into work, which I don't do because that would be silly, and I can use the tube. Yeah. You know, I use the bus. But you know, on the other occasion that I use the car in London, pretty soon it's going to be impossible for me to drive directly from where I live to this office yeah, without good. having to go about four miles out of the way. Well, uh, they've reinstated some of their roads spend. But yes, they stopped it all because, I mean, TfL finances are horrendous. And yet, w what does Khan ever talk about? Mm. All he ever talked about was Brexit. Yeah. Um, and I fear this will carry on. But I mean, if this, this, this programme goes all over the country and people wherever they're from, understand you should not waste money. Yeah. Now, if you waste the money in your own pocket, that's up to you. You've earned it. Yeah. But you shouldn't waste public money, and that's what Sadiq Khan does in London. Yeah. And what's the situation with the re-election process? Because obviously Sean Bailey's standing yes. uh, as a Conservative candidate. We've yeah, had good Sean man. in. Very yeah. good man. Uh, we like him a lot. Um, Sadiq Khan has never come into this show. We've asked him many times. He goes elsewhere and he gets an easier ride there, perhaps, but he's never been in here. Um, I don't know whether he's going to change that when he decides he's actually properly campaigning. But, I mean, what is Sean's kind of main strength, do you think, and, and where can he get people to believe that Sadiq Khan is not the right man? Uh, well, we just need to expose all the broken promises that um, Sadiq has made. Um, Sadiq Khan won't come and face you because you'll give him a hard time and yeah. he hates being challenged. He's mm. very, very thin-skinned, which for a, um, a politician I find quite amazing. It is amazing because, I mean, we all have to be quite thick-skinned. I imagine you have to be quite thick-skinned. Yeah, I do. I mean, I've watched some of the exchanges between you guys in the, in the chamber in the London Greater London Assembly and I was saying to you, one of the things that really irritates me about his kind of uh, way of operating is that he claims that he's saving money by not cleaning the building which houses the London Assembly, which is a very sort of, um, you know, outstanding-looking building. You might like it or not like it, but it's unusual-looking. It's a big globe, very yeah. close to Tower Bridge. But it looks filthy. Well, and it just it kind of gives the wrong image to me. To London. Well, yes, and you go inside and there are mice everywhere. So really? it's not for the squeamish. Yeah. Really? So you don't want to take a packed <laughs> luncheon and put it in a drawer or anything? You might wake no, up. No, you and... can't. No, they'll, they'll get rid of it overnight because, right. because of the mice. And so who does he answer to? Does he answer to anyone? Well, he's supposed to answer to the Assembly and we right. do try and hold him to account. But he's very dismissive. And unless we get the Labour group to agree with us mm. with 
any of our proposals, like our last budget um, amendment, uh, I'm afraid he carries on doing what he wants, wasting taxpayers' money um, and promising things that he has no intention mm. of delivering. And presumably he sees himself as becoming uh, the next mayor. He sees himself getting re-elected. Do you, have, do you think he has any other ambitions politically? Because he'll be probably looking at Boris Johnson thinking, oh, look, he became Prime Minister. I wonder if I could do that. Well, he's always wanted to lead the uh, Labour Party, hasn't he? But I think... It, he'll stand back until it settles down a bit because momentum are... Um, until it looks like winning. he might actually win something. Because I don't think Labour <laughs> yeah. Party looked like they could win anything for quite a long time. Well, well, not unless they get their act together, no. No, exactly. And tell us about the budget sort of uh, conversations that you have because the budget obviously is allocated uh, in many, many different ways. Um, so what if, if we go back to the, the knife crime situation and, and how many police could he have added... To the, to the general good if he'd wanted to. OK, from our amendments, it's um, 116,000 uh, uh, police officers. Right. I mean, we, what we were looking to do, though, to be fair, is to look at a violent uh, crime emergency fund mm. so that he or whoever is the mayor or the police on MOPAC can decide what to do with that money because there is a, a certainly a case that there's preventative work that needs to be going on. It might not just be police officers because... Boris has promised lots more police officers. Um, we're hoping between five and 6,000 extra ones right. in London. Okay. So we should be up to 37,000 police officers. So it could be that this violent crime emergency fund won't just fund police officers. It could fund lots of other things mm. that people think will help the situation. Yeah. Because there's no doubt we've got to get into some communities to find out what's going wrong. Yeah. Well, I always ask the question, if you're willing to plunge a knife into somebody else's body you know there's something very wrong it's not just about somehow not they're, they're not being enough police on the street it's not just about you know community services or it's not just about youth clubs something has changed yes. in that our children effectively because many of them are children uh, are willing to stab somebody else uh, without even thinking about it no, and when we were younger, you just wouldn't have... No. Would you? You would never have thought of taking a knife out. Of course Now not. it seems just, the, the, you know, they put everything in their bag, yeah. including a knife. Yeah. I mean, it's just shocking. Yeah. And, um, I mean, is there anybody doing any work on that kind of thing inside of City Hall to sort of try and figure out what has changed? Well, the Violence Reduction Unit was supposed to be doing lots along, uh, along those lines, but what they are doing is pretty unclear. They've written two reports, but they don't seem to have done much else. Mm. It's the same, it's virtue signalling with Khan all the time. He says, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm putting money into this and that. Mm. And then you don't hear about it again. Then he goes on to something else. Um, the thing is, London They're very is good our at capital. Setting, I mean, politicians are very good at setting up panels, aren't they? And setting oh, up sort of, you know, working things, groups yeah. and setting up inquiries. But that's right. But what they're not good at is actually making a difference. Well, it's delivering. Yeah. He just does not deliver. Mm. And the... The city needs it. You okay. know, London is our capital city and it, the crime rev levels are going through the sky. We've got to deal with it. Yeah. Our budget amendment showed him how he could, but um, we should, we should see. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are here, of course, until one o'clock. Matthew Wright joins us here, uh, here then with Kevin O'Sullivan, taking you through until four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, we might have time to squeeze in a couple more of your calls as well, so do keep them coming uh, if you want to get on. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number, of course. Now, one of the things I want to talk to you about, just before I speak to Philip Landau, uh, is the off-air show, uh, which we produce every single Monday. Yesterday, it was me interviewing Belinda DeLucy, uh, who is, of course, a former Brexit Party MEP. Uh, she said some 
very interesting things about how she got into politics as a mother of four. She talks about how she joined the Brexit party because she so admired Nigel Farage, how she'd spent some time actually outside uh, Westminster and the Palace of Westminster uh, with a placard uh, and some strange things that happened to her. But one occasion, um, there was an academic called A.C. Grayling, yeah. who's very recognisable. He's been on my planks list for well, a while. Can I, well, can I just give you a hey-hey to that? Because <laughs> I, was holding up, I was holding up a hoop for Brexit right. sign on my, you know, on my own with another chap slightly behind yeah. me. And he came up to me and shouted in my face. But it was the aggression and hate mm. that this seemingly reasonable academic right. exploded in the face of a, a peaceful protester. I thought, something is going wrong here. Yes. There is some kind of... They, they thought they had control, and yeah. now they don't have control of the people. How scary and how close were we to sleepwalking mm. into this George Orwell-type 1984 yeah. situation? But also, what gave them the, the idea that they were running everything as well? Absolutely. Because that's the other bit that I, I find kind of puzzling. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not interested in running other people's lives. I'm interested in talking to people, in having a sort of discourse which occasionally gets heated. But that's it. Mm. That's, of course, what we do here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. But off-air, you can find that on YouTube uh, with my interview with Blinda DeLuce. There's a whole load of other good off-air shows as well. If you haven't seen them before, uh, go there and find the rich vein uh, of what can only be described as quite in-depth conversations about politics, about the world in which we live, and everything. It's all very entertaining. Speaking of entertaining, let's talk to Philip Landau, uh, who's an employment lawyer from Landau Law Solicitors, because every so often there's a story that pops up and you just think, really? Did that really happen? But apparently, here's the story. A guy called Paris Shah is no longer reporting for work at Citigroup uh, after he's been suspended. He's a high-flying city trader, suspended from his job at an investment bank amid claims that he stole food from the staff canteen. Philip, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. Now, I can't imagine any more heinous crime than actually taking food from the Citigroup canteen. I mean, <laughs> surely there must be more to this. I imagine there would be. I mean, look, we don't know exactly what he's stolen. I know what period of time, of right. course. But, yes, I mean, the new story is, you know, it was from a canteen. Uh, I assume that the canteen was food was highly edible, which is why, um, why, why it was stolen in the first place. Right. Unlike, unlike, unlike most canteens of, of this nature. But he was a city trader, or he is a city trader, mm. and, and what comes with being a city trader, as was, as was with what comes being with any employee, really, is, you know, you have to be honest, but you have to be particularly honest if you're a trader, and you have to have integrity. And, yeah. you know, you're dealing with, you know, millions and millions of pounds of, of, of fair dealing every day, and integrity above, amongst anything else and honesty is vital in any job such as that. Yes. Now, of course, as I said, Mike, it's, it's vital in, in, in any job anyway, but particularly in the financial services industry. Yeah. Do you think there's a sort of uh, a, a part of some people's personalities where they try and get things for nothing? Because I've known people who have been otherwise successful, not, not in any way short of money, but actually kind of quite relish the idea of getting something for nothing. Well, it's a sort of an entitlement, isn't it? Yeah. In a way, the more money you've got, perhaps the more entitled that you, you, you feel. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, with something such as this, it you know it does happen. It happens. I've seen it so many times before. You know, whether it's sandwiches or expenses. You know, where maybe some of your expenses find their way onto sort of the corporate card as opposed to the personal yes. card. And. You know, it, employers do come down heavily. They, you know, this is, this is what a lot of employees don't realise. You know, they are being monitored in so many different ways. You know, there's CCTV, there's monitoring of your internet, there's monitoring of your phone, yeah. your, activity, your email activity. And, 
you, you, you do get fined out eventually. Yeah, what is the law on that if you're working for a company and you're on their premises? I mean, is there anywhere that they can't monitor you? Well, they... Uh, look, you're using your employer's um, tools of the trade. So you're yeah. using your employer's computers, you're mm. using your employer's infrastructure, you're, you're their fibre optics, their emails. Uh, normally... You are there's a policy where you are told that you are being monitored. Employers are only in a, in a more of a sort of sticky wicket situation if they don't tell you you're being monitored right. in these ways beforehand. But most companies these days will have policies, and it will be very clear the extent to which you're monitored, and that puts employees in a, in a very difficult situation if, if they seek to complain about that afterwards. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm assuming in this particular case, it, we, you would have, have to have thought that it was a pattern rather than a, a one-off, because I'll, I'll make a confession now on the live on the radio. Hopefully it doesn't mean I'm going to be dragged out of the building by my security uh, people. But basically, I brought one of my kids in here one day, and we've got a canteen system whereby you pay on a card, uh, which is linked to your, you know, your in and out, you know, getting in and out of the building, right? And you can't pay with cash. And um, so, um, after about sort of, we, we, I'd given him my card to pay for his breakfast, and after he was sitting in on the show, and I said, well, if you want to go and get something from the canteen, you know, another drink or something, off you go. And I gave him the card, and he said, what's that for? I said, that's for yeah. paying for your drink if you go and get one. And he went, oh. I said, well, did you not pay for your breakfast? And he went, no. <laughs> and he literally just got the breakfast yeah. and sat down and can give me yeah. the card back. Yeah. Um, so well, I went and I had a conversation with him. I said, look, I'm really sorry. And they said, oh, don't worry about it. But, you know, yeah. it can happen by accident. Of course it can. Of course it can. And not, not just that, Mike, but in, in anything like this, employers are expected to, to act proportionately to what's happened. You know, if you inadvertently did that, inadvertently took a sandwich, one sandwich, or saying, oh, I meant to pay for it afterwards, It'd be very unrealistic to expect an employer to come down on, on you so heavily. I think in this particular case, coming back to the trader, there, there must have been a pattern over a period of time, yeah. and, and it may have been more than just sandwiches as well. And I think that's my might be what's left. Yeah, maybe they've got uh, bottles of... I mean, I'd be surprised if they had alcohol, but sometimes they would maybe have a bottle of wine or something. I mean, it, it would be extraordinary, though, if this guy lost his job over this, wouldn't it? But it would be, but, you know, I've seen, I've seen similar situations, so... It, it, it's extraordinary for the, for the public to think so, but from an employment law point of view, yeah, um, not 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 so extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the message now, and you must be quite busy uh, in your line of work, because the message now is that you can literally be fired for anything, which you might have thought was not a particularly massive in flagrante scenario, uh, but you just got nailed for it. Well, you can certainly be hauled in, and I think these days, with everything going on with the Me Too movement as well, yeah. and I know this doesn't relate to Me Too, but... You know, employers and uh, I find they're not taking any any chances. No. If there's something to be to be sanctioned, um, then they have a reputation to, to protect, and they will they will sanction it. They will take whatever action is necessary. Yeah. Obviously, some employers will be will have more of a less fair attitude. But you know, the general rule that I'm I'm finding is that employers are coming down very heavily on things like this now. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right, Philip. Thanks very much indeed. As ever, Philip Landau, employment lawyer from Landau Law Solicitors. Because I tell you what, if you think your job is safe because you're good at it. Uh, think again, because you have to have de definitely have a code of conduct that all companies would expect you to do, not only now in the office, but also probably out of the office as well. I mean, if you're working for a company and you're a driver, and we might actually pick up on this maybe coming later in the week, but if you're driving a van for a, for a delivery company and you get involved in some kind of, you know, altercation, 
I'm sure there's a chance you would lose your job over that. If you delivered a parcel to somebody and there was some kind of a Barney and a row of some kind, you might lose your job over that. You know, it's now much more... Um, everybody's much more kind of attuned to your conduct, whether in work or out of it. I would say. So just be careful, whatever you do. Uh, Brian uh, is in Washington. Hello, Brian. Hi, Mike. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Nice to talk to you. What do you want to tell me? Oh, right. Yeah, it was an interesting conversation you had on earlier about tech. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest with you, right? I'm absolutely atrocious when it comes to technology. <laughs> I've got no idea about anything. Right. I'm 44-year-old, right? Right. Uh, you laugh at this. I promise you, what line is absolutely true. I mean, I've got a Samsung phone, right? It's right. Uh, a GTS 5611V. It came out in 2005, and I'm still using it today. I'm Listen, on it right now. Well, so, you know what? You might be better off with an old phone these days because it won't. Get, you can't get hacked. Nobody's going to steal it because they don't want it. Um, and actually, uh, you know, why not? Yeah, as, long as, it, as long as it's as good now as it was then. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, the only thing is, right, I mean, the battery's a bit iffy, and I need to probably get a new battery from Amazon, I suppose. I'm going to have to get my sister to because I don't go online myself. Right. So you not you not use the, so you don't use the internet at all. Oh, I can look on it. It's got the internet on it, like three G. I can browse things. Okay. I don't know. I, I I have got no idea about social media. I've never been on it. Yeah. Well, do you know what? If you haven't started it by now, don't bother. It's not it's not worth it. Yeah. You well, know. Probably what he's made of is I've got a daughter who's fourteen. Right. She's got an iPhone. I've got a son who's ten year old. He's got an iPhone. They've both got a password on the phones. I can't get into the phones. I haven't got a clue what they're doing on the phone. <laughs> so I don't mean by that. Well, do you know what? Oh, yeah, all I would say to you, Brian, and I really appreciate you for being so honest about it, is all you can really do is have a relationship with your kids where they they trust you and you trust them, and hopefully then yeah. if something bad happens, they'll tell you. Yeah. The only thing I'm finding with my son, Mike. Uh, oh. He, he goes on YouTube a lot, right? Yes. And he's like, yeah, mine does he too. He gets a bit angry. He, he does F and Jeff sometimes. And I say, oh, hey, does he? Knock it off. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, do you know what? What are you going to do? How old is he? 14, you say? No, he's 10. That one. Oh, he's 10. He's oh, 10. blimey. The door's yeah. 14, he's 10. Well, I, I had a very strict rule with my kids. I said, whatever you do, don't swear when you're at school. Yeah. You know, well, but. I thought might as well, you know, if someone's come out that mother F and I say, hey, pack that in. Yeah, that's, that's not mean. good. Yeah, that's not good. You've got to get him out of the habit because otherwise he'll, he'll spout it out when he's at school and he'll get into terrible trouble and then he'll blame you and they'll say, you must have heard it from your dad. I mean, my problem in life has always been that, uh, you know, I do swear from time to time um, and when I used to be in newspapers, I used to swear even more and I'd be swearing down the phone at lots of people quite often and um, so there wasn't any point in telling my kids not to swear but what I did tell them was, whatever you do, don't do it in front of your teachers. So far, so good, pretty much and that's four of them. So there we are. Right, now, uh, we're at the end of another show. Um, I'm hoping by tomorrow we'll have fixed whatever is causing the problem at YouTube because at the moment we can't seem to stream the show on there uh, but we're working on it. Uh, so apologies to everyone who's, li who's liking it on Twitter, but it's not quite as good as watching it on YouTube. We'll try and get that fixed. Uh, we will be back tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Uh, go and check out Off Air and my interview with Belinda DeLucy. Go and check out uh, Plank of the Week, which is coming up later on today. Uh, and we'll see you tomorrow at 10. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.